an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world 8 bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginners all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Hey, Steve, it's going okay. Um, so here we are. It's it's June and we're we're hitting our sixth episode. So I guess we're we're up, we're going to be our, our on our once a month schedule now. This time, last year we were at about uh, once every two to three weeks. That was pretty good, but that was no. Pandemic I think for scheduling. a while we were once a week because yeah, was, for a while we were once a week. That was pandemic scheduling. Um, last episode we talked about Kenny Brown and the Atari 400 and talked about a couple of the games that he had and that we played. And this episode we're continuing with that. This is really part two of the last episode talking about the Atari Eat Bit. This is. Season four, episode six, the top 10 Atari 8-bit games that should be remade for the new Atari VCS. Right. So we went back to look at our favorite 8-bit games. And we actually had written a story about this a long time ago, but this it totally makes sense now about the games that we think some from Atari, some from other vendors that would have made amazing launch titles for the VCS if the current Atari could do something correctly, and I wish they could. Why is it that Evercade can license everything under the sun and Atari can't seem to license anything Including to get on their platform? Atari's own games. but uh, Agreed. We also, and Lynx games, too. Yeah, and Lynx games, which is, you know... They, Evercade has a bunch of Lynx like, games. Why hasn't why Atari done on? that? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I don't... I mean, even just putting those up to let people play all the ones that they have for the 7800 and the Lynx and the Atari 8-bit. So our discussion a little bit about extending those games a little bit, but also it'd be great just to have those versions on. We also have a really, really, really good story from Tony Longworth about his first experience with the Atari 400 and some of the games. He has a record of Atari-inspired songs. So there is a song called Star Readers, and that's going to end the episode this time. Fantastic. Um, so you had something you wanted to discuss that was brand new. Oh yeah, so so here really quick. Yeah, I um, I started a new seventy hundred homebrew. Oh, I just want I know you haven't seen any of this yet, so I just want to play a little bit of it right now and let you uh, check it out. Okay, that sounds great. So first, which is a little unusual, I want to share my screen with you because I've been working on new Atari 7800 homebrew that I'm just getting going. It's the one I think I'm going to write tutorials about. Here's the game. It is called Space Raiders. Space Raiders. 
Space Raiders. Space Raiders. That's cool looking. Now I have I've been seeing this little hiccup that I wasn't seeing before. I think the- because of my star field. I might have too many stars on the screen. Anyway, this is what this is what Space Ra- Raiders is. It's a little bit like Galaga. That's neat. Can and I make Space Raiders for the Atari ST? Of course you can. That's Space awesome. Raiders. Space Raiders and is cool. It it um it is a the levels are all randomly generated based on a polynomial sequence kind of oh, like great. what um is used in Pitfall and River Raid. Um but I haven't really optimized it yet. But anyway, the idea is they all come up looking symmetrical because from any one random number that comes up, it places a line of aliens based on the bits that are turned on oh, that's in the number, and it puts them on either side. So, so this is just for the for the podcast listeners. It is basically a Galaxian-style game that will just keep on going using the polynomial to create levels yeah, to create as a demo. More and more levels. I have. There's still a lot for me to do, but actually not as much as I think. I want to just finish a game. It's- so... I have some things to do on it, but I'm also feeling like it's going to be done within a week or so. It's a shooting and programming exercise that actually will end in a game that you could write a tutorial about, Steve. Yes. Yeah, I probably write a tutorial. I have, I have to ta- taught myself a bunch of stuff, how to get random numbers from a limited set and stuff like that, because it doesn't really work. In well, I think these are so- good because these algorithms for games are things that are really needed out there, especially... Like it's hard to find algorithms for games that are complete with a demo of the game that you can play. I'm going to finish the game and then I'm going to write tutorials about how to implement what I did on 700 basic. Right, right. And there's one random terrain, great tutorial out there for 700 basic, but we need, there needs to be more that are complete games with descriptions and discussions about what's been done. So we can get more people into making 7800 and Atari ST games. Even though there's a lot of 7800 homebrew, there isn't that much, right? Like there's a lot, but there's there's some. I mean, the, yeah, there's not as much as you'd think. There isn't. I mean, there's. I think there's more 2600 Atari. Oh, there's absolutely more 2600. The Atari 8-bit usually comes in around second because of the, the ABBA contest, and then 7800, you get some pretty good stuff, and there's some really great stuff. And then, of course, you know, then there's the ST, there's the links on the Jaguar. Jaguar gets a lot of Atari ST conversions, and now they're not just straight ports. The guy's doing them is adding music and great stuff. And I, I mean, you can't sell them really because, you know, he's not getting the rights, I don't think. But I've been seeing a lot of great stuff coming from him. But these two are the ones we're focusing on right now, are the 700 and the ST. And you basically have gone really far. I still have a tutorial I'm working on that's... Uh, um, tells, it teaches a lot of stuff that could be used to make a game like Space Raiders. Yeah, so I started, here's what I did. I I started wanting to write a basic tutorial on just how to put stuff on the screen. And then I'm like snowballing into, no, I have to, I have to I'm going to make an actual game out of it. And this happens every time. Except this time I have an, an ending point. Right. Because games like Galaxian, for example, 
they just had one level and got harder and harder. Yeah. And so I'm going to do a little bit more than that. But the idea is it's basically like a Galaxian where there's a, there's some limited types of aliens and it gets harder when it goes up, but it's skill-based to see how many times you can clear the, the screen. The one thing I'd like to add to that game, if we could, if we could design it together just really simply, is something Space Invaders like that flies across at the top. And if you shoot it, it drops the double shots, and that's it. That's the only well, power I have. Shots. I, I have a pickup, and I didn't know exactly when the pickup was going to come. I, I like your idea I there, just like double I shots. like your idea of the ship you need to shoot at the top of the screen that drops the double shot. Right. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm going to do that. And I can make a uh, tutorial, but take exactly what you've done and make it an ST version of it. In, yeah, uh, I was also thinking, so, stars. so uh, you know, it comes up with uh, with like um, a formation. If I could very simply close that formation together and create a ship out of it and do sort of a, a boss like Phoenix or something. Like every 10 levels or something, you get the boss. That'd be awesome. Something like, yeah, I think there'll be a, I think I want to do a boss as well. But Oh my God, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, after like 10 levels or something, right? Five, 10, some, something like that. So that's what I'm thinking of. But I, I want to get what I have done there. Oh, I what I have there done. Yeah, okay, so let's get to Atari News. So first thing is Evercade. So the Evercade announced a new set of arcade game collections. And one of them is Atari number one of arcade games for the Evercade. Nice. We like the Evercade. Yes, I want to get the duo. My next retro purchase will be the duo and and the cartridges. Did you see you can pre-order? It's like 200 bucks. You get like the five cartridges and the I'm going to pre-order it right now. The Evercade Atari cartridge has Liberator, Lunar Lander, Missile Command, Centipede, Asteroids, Deluxe, Pong, Canyon Bomber, Crystal Castles, Millipede, Night Driver, Skydiver, Super Breakout, and Warlords, which is a very respectable set of Atari coin ops. Hopefully, number two will have Food Fight in it in our never-ending quest quest to get Food Fight. I now have have two quests. I have a never-ending quest to get Bosconian put back onto the... um, in one of the Namco collections, Man. and of course, Food Fight to get onto an Atari collection. Um, so for the for the regular Atari company, the VCS is supposed to be out in stores or on like the fifteenth. Like this, I heard. Sometime. I heard it's actually in stores. That's pretty bitching. So yeah, I mean, it's good that it's going to be there. I hope they sell some. It's very expensive for what it is. Though. I, I just, I'm actually just want to buy the controller. Yeah, the controller would be cool. The joystick controller is actually one of the best things they've ever done. Right, uh, because I want to you build a plug a USB version of that into like Mame and be able to play games. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. Now, there's also Atari Token, which dropped all the way down to six cents last week. I think it's back up to like nine cents now or something. I don't know what they're doing with Token. They got a new guy in there to be the CEO of gaming. And Fred Chesney's working on the crypto stuff, and they got a new guy as their CEO. I don't know what that means, if they're actually going to get back to doing some good stuff or not. I, I still don't understand why they don't try to mine the homebrew and retro stuff the way they could. But I think they're uh, trying guess, that with the VCS, but they're doing it at a really expensive it's way. It's just too expensive. I, I mean, they should have done the Evercade. The Evercade is, what, 100 bucks, and just runs circles around what yeah, they've done 
It also is really nicely done. Okay, so uh, a book. Michael Salzman has released the unofficial guide to Circus Convoy. He has tons of these unofficial books on Amazon. It started as a zine, all his books. I love that zine. Yeah. yeah, now they tend to focus on a single game, adventure, chess, Atlantis, a little bit, I guess, a little bit like how, how Ferg would focus on one game for the Atari 2600 game by game podcast. But these are these are like little, like collectible, nicely done little books that he makes. Um, and people should check them out I love if they haven't books. already. I love it. Yeah, books. they're cool. Uh, some news closer to our heart. Tony Longworth. Tony Longworth, a resident house musician, kind of. He's not a house musician. Well, I guess he could be a house musician, <laughs> but he's actually a ha- he's a resident musician, kind of. Uh, he lets us use his music, and he's a great friend. He completed his album Shadow of Chernobyl. Awesome. It's up on Bandcamp, and we'll put a link in the notes. This is one of his latest things. Tony's super talented. And speaking of Tony, he's going to lead oh. off with the story for this episode. Last time. We did season four, episode five. We did Discovering the Atari 400. That was our story about Kenny Brown. We covered Star Raiders, Caverns of Mars, and Minor Two of Fornana as those games. Those were our real lost titles for the Atari because those are the first ones we really played on an Atari with someone we knew in Atari 800. We have a story from Tony Longworth where Tony actually, this is his story about Discovering the Atari 400. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we get to Tony's story, we had one piece of feedback. I wanted to read. This is from Gabriel. Gabriel said, hey, guys, just wanted to drop a line and say that I've been really enjoying the last few episodes. This is on May 13th. So this was that was after the Kenny Brown one. Um, The episode from late March, how the VCS almost killed me was one of my favorites. I'm really glad he liked that one. (laughs) I really enjoyed your discussion about how to approach programming for the VCS, namely the importance of understanding player missile graphics, the play field, et cetera. I also really liked the latest episode where you discussed the 400 and early games like Star Raiders and Minor 2049er. It's great to reminisce about classic games, but what I like is that you guys talk about all the great Atari platforms. Exactly. Exactly. He's right. All the the 8-bits to the VCS to the ST, the 7800. Great stories. Great music. Tony, great technical discussions, great interviews, and a very professional production. Well, we try. We try, yeah. Uh, it's a well, bunch of amateurs great. trying to make it seem like it's professional. <laughs> this is my favorite podcast by far. Wait, we should we should use that as our tagline. We Gabriel said it. it's his favorite podcast by far. Hope you guys continue for a long, long time. Thanks again, Gabriel Camacho. And I just want to say, Gabriel, I literally, I think the day before we got this message, I was like, so Jeff, because I do this every once in a while. I'm like, Jeff, I, I don't think I can do the podcast anymore. <laughs> you do this a lot. All the time. Everything's really tired. I'm like, oh my God, you know, the whole thing with our sister and doing a lot. And I did the Kenny Brown episode, which um, it took a lot out of you. Honestly, was it took a lot out of me. That was a story that had been hanging around for a long time. And it's something that's very close to my heart. At the end, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then literally the next day, we get this message from Gabriel Camacho, and I'm like, Jeff, we're still doing it. <laughs> so that's well, just yeah, to let you know how effective feedback can be yeah feedback um, is really good because it, it, and it wasn't like we don't have listeners or anything you know it's not like it's nothing it's just like sometimes it's like you know we write these stories or these things and it's a lot of energy that comes right, out you know right. it's it's a huge amount of energy to write and record something where it's it's kind of personal and you don't really know if people really 
honestly give a crap or not <laughs> you can, but you do it because it's something that's been like in for me it's been in my head for a long time you know that that whole concept of of kenny brown coming back and right. giving us those atari st games years after we probably even talked to him and and and, and, and him just even knowing that we had an how ST. he even knew we had an atari st and then the fact that we pretty much never saw him again no and you know how people kind of float in and out of your life sometimes and and maybe a small gesture on their part they may not understand the effect on you i mean i've never forgotten that right you know there's a lot of energy that goes into those types of anyway so anyway gabriel my battery ran out and you recharged it with you this recharged so battery. thank you very much i, I really have a couple of little pieces of news that i want to get through before we go to tony's story okay yeah go for one it. of them is that i sent a thing over to ferg just a little while ago, Ferg, who runs the Atari 2600 game by game podcast, and I said, Look, I'm gonna review, I'm gonna send you a review for this game. I forget what the latest one is, and I'm gonna send you a new tag because the tag we have on that you play all the time, thank you for playing it, is awful and probably is a negative for listeners, right? So, and um, but I haven't sent it yet, so anyway, I need to send that in. The other thing is, I've still been doing videos. I think the last few videos I did and put up on our site, the YouTube site and on our site, we have three. They're Atari ST related. This is on one of our other tangents. Um, I did a video on playing the game Kid Gloves on the Atari ST and some of the reviews. I did a video on installing and setting up Game Base 4.0, the beta Game Base 4 is utterly fantastic for playing Atari ST games. Oh, yeah. Um, you get the guy completely updated it. It works really well. I explained how to get to download it, where to go, but also how to set up properly so it works. And then I did another video on the Crazy Cars series for the Atari ST and found out that Crazy Cars 3, a game we had never played, I'd never played, is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I had no idea that it existed before that. And the next set of videos are all going to be about the Atari 8-bit, but I haven't got there. But this podcast with Atari 8-bit is first, and that's going to help us talk about some more 8-bit stuff because we're continuing our series. Last time we did Candy Brown, the 8-bit, we still have more 8-bit stuff to discuss before we get to the next phase of the podcast that we'll discuss sometime. And so on that note... Let's play Tony's story right now. Hi, this is Tony Longworth, music composer, fan of Into the Vertical Blank podcast and complete and utter Atari geek. Now, last time I was on this podcast, I was talking about how uh, I kind of discovered the Atari VCS, the 2600 console, through two of my friends who, who owned those consoles. And I was around at their houses a lot playing those vcs games now one of those friends Stu, he ended up progressing on to owning an atari 400 which was major at the time it was it was the first person i knew who owned a home computer totally mind-blowing now i think the whole reason he kind of went down the atari computer route just thinking back now his dad actually worked abroad he worked in saudi arabia he was away quite a lot but while he was in saudi arabia he he, he actually picked up a lot of american computer magazines i can't even remember which ones now but he used to bring them home for Stu and me and Stu used to go through them page by page and the atari computers were in there i don't even know what year this is i can't really remember um, but it was obviously very early days of home computing 
and I remember going through these magazines and just amazing there was nothing like that in the UK so we were kind of exposed to those American magazines through Stu's dad who brought them back um, from Saudi Arabia which was very random but I think Stu's dad actually did a lot of research on what computer to buy with different ones emerging at that time the Atari home computers were available there was also the Apple and I think the Commodore the VIC-20 and various UK ones as well but I think that Stu's dad basically did that research and, and realized you know the Atari 8-bit computers were the the best ones at the market on the market at the time and he was right basically so Stu ended up with the Atari 400 and packaged with the Atari 400 came Asteroids now I'd experienced Asteroids on the VCS not a particularly great version on the VCS although I'd never played the arcade game never seen the arcade game so I didn't know it was sort of vector graphics so when I went around to Stu's house for the first time the Atari 400 was there Asteroids was there really my mind was blown this was a four player four player game you could play against other players you can play um you know with them as well you could help them in in co-op mode and basically we 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 played asteroids a lot we just enjoyed it it was so so good i mean thinking back we probably played on one of the smallest portable tvs ever so we were just sitting huddled around this tv just 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 blasting and and it, and it was great it was great i mean this i, I thought you know the, the games aren't going to get better this this is like this this must be the best game ever but i was completely wrong cuz soon after Stu ended up getting a copy of star raiders which seriously even now that game was so you know looking at it it was so ahead of its time and and it's so playable now and it i, I just remember the first time i saw it, it it was a 3d game we were zooming through space you could look forward you could look backwards sort of the the enemy sort of spacecraft would sort of pass you and then you look behind and it was there it was there behind and i mean we we played that game so much it was it was one player but you know one of us could control the keyboard the other the joystick so we were controlling the, one of us was controlling the speed the other was like shooting the hell out of the three different types of spacecraft and and we 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 got pretty good at the game to be honest we initially played on novice but then we started playing on some of the other levels i think there was four levels in all the top level was like impossible but i think we either played on the second or the third sort of uh, skill level and um it, it was good but that, that that you know that game really just set it really did set the standard and you know looking back now i don't even think you know what other game have i played since then which really blew my mind as much as star raiders you've got to ask that question there's probably been a handful probably not been a lot really i mean maybe i, I don't know maybe going on to sort of you know first time i got the playstation one playing some on there maybe i i don't know it was it it fond memories it was i'm getting emotional can you can you hear that <laughs> i love star readers what can i say it was just a amazing amazing game genius programming highly playable 
still love it today. In fact, what I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it today. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, after recording this, I'm thinking back. The, the other thing I want to say about those, the, the initial two games I played on the Atari 400, so Asteroids and Star Raiders, the other thing I want to mention was the amazing boxes that these little cartridges came in. It was these big boxes with the most amazing artwork both asteroids and star raiders really did have awesome artwork as did all the other games at the time as well i don't know i was gonna say i don't know who the artists are but i've actually got the art of atari book so i could go back and you know look that up really good just google it kind of thing so i should i should look in fact i wouldn't mind i'm thinking now this is just a random sort of stream of sort of conscious sort of chatter that's coming out of my head right now i kind of want a framed version of the star raiders box art it was that good honestly it was that good and it was really strange because at the time we're talking 8-bit graphics but you would look at the amazing artwork of the box and then play the game and see no difference between both of those things especially with star raiders you know what i mean it was although look at you know you look now and you're like jesus yeah there's no way it's going to be as good as the, the box art, but in your head, it kind of was. It was uh, happy days and totally mind-blowing. And soon after soon after that, I actually got my own Atari 800, and I actually got... It was for Christmas, and I actually got it bundled with Donkey Kong, and I also got a copy of Defender, which was one of my fave games of, of all times. So that's probably a story for another time but that's when i first owned my own atari 400 and then there was all the fun of the games after that and programming as well so there's probably a lot more chatter to do about the atari 400 i still have my original atari 400 as well and uh, i'm actually recording this in my music studio and i've still got my original boxed copies of donkey kong and defender as well on display here in the studio uh really proud that i've still got them and um they're great games as well but yeah asteroids got me into the 400 followed by star raiders i don't think you're gonna top star raiders i'm gonna stop talking now and i'm gonna play star raiders right now so first of all, no, we don't need not to hear Tony's voice. We need Tony's voice in every ep- episode. We just need Tony to keep talking, right? We need exactly. Tony to keep talking. I think it's we so should much better. send Tony our scripts and just let him read the yeah, whole thing. Why don't we should do that. We should just have him play both of us sometime. <laughs> I'm glad Tony mentioned those four games because those are four of the games that we got with our Atari amongst the other discs. Asteroids, which we didn't play much, but I appreciate more now on the 800. Of all the games that we played i think we had a disc of like eight i want to say eight 8k arcade games right centipede and and it was probably the least um impressive because i think we were looking for like asteroids in the arcade and it was it it would feel a a little more like the 2600 version than i was willing to admit at the time it, but but it was still good. It's still, it's still well, good. yeah, I remember playing it. It's just we never played two player on it. I think it would have been like amazing, but we just didn't do it. Star Raiders, I was always terrible at, but I still love the game. I played Star Raiders. I loved it. 
I think most space combat games for me were ruined by Star Raiders. Because go and try to play, you know, later games, I had always simply compare them to Star Raiders. And while the graphics were better, nothing could compare to that first the first time you play a space combat game, and like Tony said, it's like you're in a 3D world, even though you're not, and you feel immersed. I don't care if the graphics are 320 by 200 or, you know, or, or 160 by 80 or whatever they were, right? It doesn't matter. The first time that you're immersed in a world and you believe it's, you know, it, you believe you're in that world, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it, it's hard to top that. And that's what happened when the first time you put the Star Raiders cartridge in and play it on an Atari 100 or Atari 400. I think people who have just seen it, they don't understand that immersion. It's not a 3D wireframe. It's not a 3D solid. It's not even full 3D graphics. It's sprites in a 3D space, which makes it so much different than you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and and then, we definitely played anything like it. And even even... Even play Star, Star Master Master. and stuff like that on the VCS were good, but they they weren't the same. I, um, I liked Phaser Patrol too, but they just weren't. They didn't run into. They were not in 3D the way you could look backwards, forwards, to the side on the on the, on the 800. They tried it, but they didn't do it. And the yeah. worst of all of those is the attempt on the television that was really in a 2D space, not even a pseudo 3D space, but it's still good. Um, was that it was Star Strike or something? Ar- armor, uh, not, uh, armor Attack? No, armor no attack. it's not Space, space Armada. Space, space Armada was space different. Attack. Space, space attack. attack. I still like it. So um, the other thing he talked about were the giant boxes. Giant boxes, exactly. The- Giant boxes are amazing, and those are the boxes that we saw on the wall at HW Computers in 1981. And I think my supposition here is that Atari had this idea through their amazing marketing team that bigger to consumers was better. Right. Well, so, computer had to be bigger. Right? So the computer box <laughs> had to be, I mean, it was enormous. The cartridges were half the size, I, uh, you know, almost of the VCS cartridges, and the boxes were almost four times the size. Right. But the manuals matched the size of the box, which was and, cool. Close anyway. They were bigger. Yeah, that's funny. They did the 5200 cartridge too. Let's just yeah, the cartridge is bigger than 60. The 5200 the boxes were pretty much the same, but the cartridges were giant, yeah. even though they didn't need to be. It's I guess they're they're trying to do perceived value, but I feel like it was a missed opportunity to create a you know a smaller size, more common sized box. I don't think they cared at the time, but you're right. They the other th- and those that did happen later. You know, they they reduced those boxes down to a, a pretty standard size. Well, there's the size has changed over time. They, I have about twelve of them, and all and of the Atari boxes, the gray ones and the black ones, and there are various sizes, which is funny. Defender, Defender. boy, is he right? Defender. Def- that was probably the maybe the first arcade game we booted up because it was probably alphabetically after Asteroids, right? Uh, our centipede and Defender blew me away, especially after playing Defender at the VCS. Right, Defender on the Atari 800. To me, it was arcade perfect. It's not. But at the time, it was we had not seen anything like that before, like on a computer. It felt like here's why it felt feels arcade perfect. Riddle me this: our Defender was, was actually a landscape game. Yes, so it feels the same on a TV set it does in the arcade. It does. Asteroids, Centipede, Tempest. Um, I know they didn't have Tempest, but Asteroids, Centipede, Millipede, um, Missile Command is also landscape. landscape. But the others are, are portrait. 
And so just by that nature, and even Donkey Kong is portrait. So just by that nature, Defender is going to feel better. Missile Command is going to feel better because their aspect ratio is the same. Right, 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 right. Oh, and then um, he did mention that, you know, Donkey Kong, which I think we might have mentioned before, but not just in passing. Donkey Kong, one of the Atari 800 cartridges or th that I played a lot because all four levels are on it. And we could actually start at a place where you could you could get to the levels in expert. The second level, the fourth level came second because you had to try to get up the building. Yeah, I don't think people it. understand. I, it, it, when When it came out... Donkey Kong for the Atari 100 was literally the best version ever made. Better than Coleco, way better than Coleco. With there its, is an its, MSX with version, its... I think, out there with all four levels or something like that. But um, but yeah, at the time so that we could get here, that we but could like get here, it, yeah. the frame rate is vastly superior to the ColecoVision's like five frames a second or whatever, whatever it runs at. Yeah, the Coleco had a few problems. I still, I still like it, but yes, it, it that it, the Donkey Kong definitely better. So is the Coleco Vision. I think is is actually compatible with the Sega Master System. It like it's the same hard hardware. Um, it's not the Sega Master System. There's a different one. Oh, the in between one because it's a Z80. The SG one thousand or whatever. It's a Z eighty, and so is, you're right. So is the Sega Master System Z eighty processor also. I but think, there is. I think technically ColecoVision games could run on the Master System. Okay, so you can it's a SG-1000 Master System can play SG-1000 games already. It's possible to rework Coleco games on the Master System. This, I'm just re reading from oh, so it's, um, Atari. Okay, so it's SG-1000, you're right. So you're saying that the, the SG-1000 um, and the ColecoVision are very similar. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, they're close anyway. And, they, and really the Sega Master System is related to the ClickoVision. And we loved our Sega Master System when we oh, got God. it. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's what I got from Tony's thing, Donkey Kong, big boxes. He's absolutely right about the big boxes. Hey, everybody. It's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game. Then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. Okay. So okay. So we thought we, with the Atari uh, VCS finally being released on June 15th, which is probably, hopefully after this episode comes out but who knows it's been it's been slow um <laughs> we thought that we would go back to some classic things that we wrote a long time ago back when infograms first bought atari before they were named atari sa before yeah before atari sa when we knew it was infograms and infograms themselves had a long history of games going back into yeah. the 80s I mean, they made um, Atari ST games. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, they made Atari ST games. They made North and South, I believe, which is which is a great game, oh, um, yeah. or at least they published it. That was a French game made about the Americans of War, which was yeah. Uh, but they did a bunch of stuff, and I remember kind of fondly liking Infograms back in the day. So when Infograms bought Atari back in like the early two thousands, I thought it was okay. I mean, it wasn't what we wanted, and so but what we did in, in the mid two thousands was we came with a list of games that we thought that that Atari should remake. Franchises and things that were on the old consoles that we thought that they should remake. And they've done one or two of these. 
but I think that it behooves us to repeat them because the things that they've done have not been successful and also highlight stuff that should be remade. Uh, if the Atari VCS is going to be a viable platform, this is stuff that they own. Exactly. So I think the beginning of the list is about Atari 8-bit computer games. I think we're yeah. going to stick. We're going to use that part this time. We're continuing our series with Atari 8-bit. And, you know, we already had Tony's story about the 8-bit. I thought we'd talk a little bit about this. Um, and here it goes. The first game on the list is would be very familiar is Star Raiders. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty- they did remake Star Raiders as a PC game. And I think even on the PlayStation, it wasn't too great. I don't think it captured the essence of the original Star Raiders. The yeah. original Star Raiders had this amazing star field that was what was amazed people the most about it was the 3D star field back when it came out in 1980. And I believe, as I recall, the actual star field in the remake didn't move. Oh my just, god, yeah, you're right. And it st- and that was just one thing where like, oh, whoever made this game didn't even understand the essence of the game that they were remaking. It would be like if they made a Mario game and forgot Mario or something. You yes, know, like exactly. just or decided that, you know, or there were no mushrooms. I don't know. I hate to say cuz I don't know that much about Mario. But my point is they you didn't understand the nuances of the original. The Starfield animation, which is not the game you know the game. The game. There's more to the game than the Starfield animation, but the Starfield animation was so influential that it was the basis of most Jeff Minter games. <laughs> well, I mean, that was also Tempest. Let's be honest. But I understand what you're no, saying. No, but I, I meant like they keep being able to do that many particles on the screen and in sort of the pseudo 3D, and then oh and yeah, Tempest is. That's- so I'll read this because this is. I mean, we've said a lot about Star Raiders, but. Uh, Since it can't be overstated that Star Raiders was the killer app for the 8-bit, it was a game that made people go out and buy computers just to play it, just to show off to their friends. And again, I'm pretty sure that's what Dave Elwood did with the Atari 800 we got before he sold it to dad was he went out and bought it and just to play Star Raiders and then, you know, moved on up. Okay, here it goes. Star Raiders. Star Raiders was the single most influential game that Atari ever produced for for the 8-bit. The game was so visually stimulating and so much fun to play that Atari sold thousands, and I wish it was 10,000s and millions, but it's probably more like thousands, of 8-bit computers on the strength of that one title alone. In a way, this game paved the way for the 8-bit home computer gaming era that would be more commonly known by the Commodore 64. Star Raiders was a take on the all-text mainframe game Star Trek, a strategy game in which you attempted to fight a space battle against alien forces. Star Raiders took that basic concept and added simulated 3D effects and and space battle action that resembled a Star Wars movie more than any prior game i think the aliens actually look like tie fighters in there too a little bit yeah 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 yeah. a little bit anyway well atari did make a vcs version of this game trumped by activision star master and a version for the atari st that is just about as far as it went late in the 8-bit era they did make a game based on the movie last starfighter that resurfaced as star raiders 2 but not the actual Star Raiders 2, which re- resurfaced a couple of years ago. The late 80s VCS saw a game named Solaris, programmed by the original 8-bit programmer, Doug Neubauer. But neither of these games took concept to a place where it could be considered a franchise. 
In the 90s, Wing Commander took the helm and Star Raiders was mostly forgotten. To us, this is one franchise that needs to be revived and brought back into the fold with a new entry for modern consoles. Now, again, yeah, and you can do a lot more with it, too. Yeah, they did. I would I would say like No Man's Sky is probably a game that's closer to what Star Raider should have become, you know, it, or, or should have been like a like a freelancer kind of thing. Think about it this way. Yeah, a freelancer. My thought is because you could keep the same core concept. Think about all the 3D games that come out right now. So by the AAA games, they're all like run around first person shooters. Why is, hasn't a space shooter come out in a long time? That's that good. That there are a couple, there are a few, right? Space shooters just kind of got overtaken by first-person shooters, right? But this is right territory. I mean, there's Atari could make a Star Raiders game that basically is a combination of all of those great games, including Wing Commander, but then also add in some trading and planets and stuff. Yeah, it's an incredible game. I mean, there was Elite, of course, which was which which came out in the oh, UK, and yeah, of and, course, and that was huge. And there's there's a new version of Elite that came out, and it's just you know I think people want to remember it like it blew them away when they were kids playing in the 80s. That's why I thought like No Man's Sky or something. Well, I think Elite actually is multiplayer in a huge universe but the idea that it would have already by this time should already have expanded to something huge that took over the entire galaxies right. or universes right it's been it's been more than 40 years it should have evolved but the problem is what will happen is if atari does remake it now the current atari they'll just remake one that's like the original and things have needed to progress you can't remake that original have people care about it anymore. You need you need to have taken it to the next and next and next and next level. Here's a good example. We've talked about this before. And Atari still has not got this, but maybe they will. But even the old Atari, they didn't get this. I was reading about a game that was ported to the NES. And it was ported to all kinds of the systems at the same time. And they all were great. Uh, I think it, it could be Bubble Bobble. It could be another game like that. And when the NES port was put in, it was arcade perfect. And they put it in, and, any, and the people that run Nintendo said, no, why did you give us an arcade game? You have to make the game. This is set to eat quarters. We don't want to eat quarters. We want people to sit down and play this game for a half an hour at a time or more without having to reset the game. And that's still the difference between the games Atari's making now and what Nintendo the rev the revolution they did in home yeah. gaming what they figured out was people didn't want quarter eaters any right. at, at home you right? need to add more to the game so when you'll see games and that's why the nes was i i found out over the years that the difference between the nes and even the um except for some occasions with the genesis and sega master system when they would when they would make their game they would if they took an arcade one they would try to add something to it now the genesis did this really well with super hang on for the genesis but nintendo did it with every single game that came out and that right. made it just so this is not a quarter eater the, the whole mentality is we want you to sit down and enjoy the game it's a slower pace to begin with you get into it play more it's easier at the beginning it becomes hard to master um but not in that repetitive way you get more and more levels and things. So on this, Atari would need to make something that was Star Raiders, but it didn't end with the first battle. and You become the Ensign or the Garbage Scout Commander like I always was. You would continue <laughs> on, right? You yes, would continue on exactly. to planets like, like it was Elite. 
Yeah, exactly. It needed to continue. It needed to continue. So that's that started. That's number ten of our top ten games we believe Atari should remake for the VCS. Sorry, top ten eight bit Atari eight bit or eight bit games that we believe um, Atari should remake. And these were all the released VCS. for the Atari eight bit. Yeah, so they're all released for the Atari eight bit. Okay. Uh, the number next nine. one is a game that you and I sat down and played with and could not figure out, but we it was a combination of those first Lemonade Stand games, real-time strategy, and conversation simulator all in one. Yes. Excalibur. Excalibur. Number nine, Excalibur. It was a Chris Crawford game. I have an entire story that's actually half written at this point all about this game and Chris Crawford that I hope to get done this year to be recorded. So I don't want to say too much about this, except that Excalibur is written by Chris Crawford, released through APX in, I think, in 1983. But I don't think it actually saw life until 84, but they say 83. The game simulated both the medieval struggle for the land of Britain and the internal struggle of King Arthur's Camelot. This little scene, little played gem was one of the most detailed and intriguing strategy games of the 8-bit computer era. This is definitely one game that needs to be released for download at least, if not totally remade with the help of Chris Crawford. And here's the thing. So it, it was strategy. It was like you said, lemonade stand. You would figure out ways to like run your kingdom. And then there were these battles that you would fight. I believe they were in real time. Didn't show armies, it showed shields. And you would fight these battles and they were really hard. And then there was also this throne room that had all the knights in it and it showed the relationships between people and lancelot was always getting too close to guinevere in that oh god he was way too close and you always try to figure out what but you know it was proto everything it's probably chris crawford's smile it's like his his lost masterpiece that he's been trying to do for real for the past, I don't know, 40 years. But it really is an amazing game. It wasn't quite finished the way he wanted it to, or it needed another iteration or something, but it really was brilliant at the time. And I imagine it, this should be like Civilization. We should be on Excalibur 6 at this point. Right. And it should be the amazing game that we wanted to. And that's what's frustrating about these Interesting these games. thing about that is that, you know, this is... Um, well before all of these other games that come out now that are just basically like an adventure game that turns out to be um, an experience at, we'll just say, work or high school or something like that, right? These games actually come out now and make money. They're on Steam, people play them. Not every game is a 3D for a person shooter. They do these odd things. They'll make huge amounts of money, but these indie games or these games that come out do this. And well before that became a viable genre, Chris Crossford had added all of it to Excalibur. Yeah, or a lot of it, a lot of things, you know. He had done really interesting things, and that's what I love about this game, and I still remember it fondly. I tried to play it again. By the way, he made an amazing font for it, too. That's I remember yeah. that. Okay, next one. He had interns work on this with him, too. I, uh, I think, I yeah, he did. I remember, I think Kay Savitz talked yeah. to one who worked on it. Yes. So, this is number eight, number eight. So number eight is Eastern Front another Chris Crawford game. What he brought to it was a very interesting thing. This was the idea that you took on a failed war effort 
and you try to write the ship. And also, it was done brilliantly with uh, as a way to show off the scrolling on the Atari 800. And the joystick control, too. And the joystick control, of course. You played the Germans trying to attack the Russians... And they were repelled back by the Russians, obviously, or we wouldn't. Well, or the Russian winter or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot that repelled them back, but one of them was the stalwartness of the Russian people. Another one was the, the winter. And and it's one of those ideas that you're taking on a previously lost cause and you're trying to fix it in some way. Let, let me read this really quick. It says, Chris Crawford's Eastern Front was one of the first accessible war games for any computer. Crawford developed an input mechanism that used a single joystick to fight very complex World War II battles. It was also great fun to play. Crawford's design inspired many further war games from developers like SSI. But this exact title, treatment, input mechanism, etc. was not seen again in any Atari title. Not that I know of. Um, remaking this game might not work in, in uh, it says 2008 here, <laughs> in 2021. But it could be a downloadable game for the VCS. But it also showed that Atari didn't take this and continue expanding on it. This could have been the first of a franchise of war games. I mean, you've got like Advance Wars and and the types of accessible war games that came out from Nintendo and even real-time strategy games that this could have become. But again, they just, it was like a one and done. We've got our war game and we're moving on. And I actually, this is another one that I think came out from APX first. And then they realized that people were buying it and they turned it into a regular program. But another, right. just a short-sighted, like this is a really great input mechanism, really interesting idea, accessible. Why couldn't have this been a franchise? That's, that's a really good point. These are three games in a row that we're going to get to the third next one in a second that Atari marketing said, nah, I don't like that game. I'm not going to sell anything. It moved from APX over to the main product line very quickly. Excalibur did, I think. I don't think it did, actually. Excalibur did not. Eastern Front did, though. Eastern Front and, did. No, Excalibur did not. And so does our next game. Okay, this is number seven. Do you remember playing this game, Steve? Oh, dude, we yeah. had a whole. This yeah. is another one that was in like in like the Kenny Brown episode. Yeah, last we played episode. this game so much because you're scrolling. I don't care what direction, shooting the stuff that's coming at you and getting the fuel is why he made this. What yes, I'm is, yes. There was I no just, game that was this well done. It yet. stands out to me as different simply because you went down into a planet but it did have that fuel me mechanism like a scramble it also has this bomb mechanism that reminds me of hero a little bit yes yeah so let's read once you read this one caverns of mars this vertically scrolling shooter was a standout when it was released by atari's apx atari program exchange it was so popular in fact that atari released it as an official game soon after this game was known for its audio-visual effects and slick gameplay when it was first released. A sequel was created, but it was not well distributed. The concept of a shooter where the player plumbed the depths of a planet was a very solid one. This game should have lived well beyond the 8-bit computer line to the 16-bits Jaguar, Lynx, and beyond. The game is still enjoyable today. Will make a great remake or download. Yes, it will. Well, I think I think definitely I would I would love to see someone make a version of Caverns of Mars for the ST now as homebrew or for the Lynx or for the Jaguar. But again, it's another one where like why wasn't 
there one after. Like, how did this title get lost? Was it still owned by the the guy who made it? Um, um, you know, maybe he re- retained the copyright. Even then, why not? I mean, it was so successful. Why not bring him back into the fold? Like, yeah. the, that doesn't stop anyone now. Yeah, he's got to pay him a royalty. You, know, I you mean, have a hit game. What are you doing? Not doing a second. I don't know. It's just it's so short sighted. Some of these things that they did, and this could have been a very cool if you continue. Now, you know, it is kind of an arcade game. How you would expand on that? is maybe a little hard to fathom. The great Chris Christensen did make Phobos and a uh, Mars mission too, but he did that himself. A Mars mission or Caverns of Mars? It was ca- it was called Caverns of Mars 2, but it's called Mars Mission 2. Oh, was maybe it? Was, the real title was Mars Mission 2. Okay. Well, I love that game. Maybe it would be like a become like a 3D shooter or something. Probably now would be like a real-time multiplayer uh, 3D space shooter or something. Through Caverns. Who knows? Well, so there's more to be done with this. I mean, this was like you went down in a cavern, you shot, you set off the bomb, you went up. Why not continue on through multiple caverns? Why not do it in 3D? I mean, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot so, more you could do with these games now. Um, so here's the next one. This is number six. And this is not Atari's game. And I don't know, did they release this as, as part of the XE line? I think there's I don't an XE think so. version of it. So this is Mule, of course. You know, I mean, this should be num- number one, but it's number six on our list because, because well, because it's it's a little obvious, I guess. Danny Button's Mule. Danny Button's Planet Colonization free market economy game Mule has been called one of the best games ever made. It was. A remake was created for the NES, but beyond that, there's never been a solid attempt to take this game to another platform. There, there is a PC version now. Oh, yeah, but people have remade Planet it. Planet Mule, and people have remade it. The, the reason, though, it doesn't work is because it perfectly embodied the strengths of the Atari 800 computer. This is something that Chris Crawford pointed out to us in our interview with him, which we'll have in some upcoming episode. Four players could play with four joystick ports on the Atari 800 because the Atari 800 had four joystick ports because it was amazing. Right. The sound and music were perfectly suited to the Pokey sound chip, and the display list graphics concept served the visuals perfectly. These things simply did not translate to other platforms. It's true. Atari Infogram should work with EA to get this game made available as a download. They should also work to add online multiplayer. Wouldn't the VCS be amazing? What if what if they had the foresight to say the launch title for the VCS only on the VCS will be a multiplayer, either couch multiplayer or online multiplayer brand new version of mule with ea that would have been a excuse me f-ing system seller that would right. have been the thing that that's all they needed to announce because people st- i know people who've never at work for example who've never used an atari computer before that know about mule and say oh we're gonna we're gonna have a game day and someone's bringing in their atari 100 with four joysticks just to play this game i can't say this passionately enough this is what Atari infograms or SA Atari say. This is their missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah is definitely. to do this. Definitely. Okay, I know a lot of these are my games. <laughs> well, there you. But this is they're all great games. Now, of course, Ultima Four is the next one, and it's a game that was across multiple platforms. This is the type of RPG that is needed on the VCS in some way. Oh, I mean, first of all. Uh, Lord British can't even get it done because EA has locked up Ultima and won't let him do anything with it. Ultima 4 should have been remade a long time ago. 
Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. a new, you know, someone, I think someone has made an Ultima 4 in like the Skyrim engine or something. It's just not the same. It needs, we want Lord British's brain and a modern development team to make a remake of Ultima 4 for modern consoles. And how cool would it have been if it had, if it, if it, if it had launched on the Atari VCS? Right. I exactly. would rather play it on the PlayStation 5, to be honest, because I'd rather have the best, most amazing visuals possible for a remake of Ultima 4. But whatever, still a missed opportunity. Because what's this license doing? But just sitting, languishing, doing nothing in the vaults of EA somewhere. Exactly. So, they could have at least approached it. I, you know what? It's not fair to Ultima 4 to say that this should have launched on the VCS, though. Well, it's, this... it's fair. Let's put it this way. It would be fair to the VCS to have Ultima 4 launch on it, make a great but, title. But it's not, not the other way around. Ultima 4 to be launched that way. Right? I mean, if Atari had made an actual, if someone came in like Sh Seamus Blackley or someone like that, it had actually been able to buy Atari and do it right, then collecting Ultima 4 and making a new version would have been amazing but that never happened that would have been perfect i oh, i love ultima 4 so much it's not more than my love for atari but it's almost there and i don't i wouldn't <laughs> want to see ultima 4 ruined by the current atari but it would have been cool to see it on the VCS. well i mean they need to hire a good developer to put to do it and pay them and give them, and that's just difficult to do oh i'm gonna re read this because i i like to read the text that i wrote Ultima 4. Still the best Ultima of the series, according to me. Ultima 4 deserves to be played and appreciated by modern audiences. This deep, complicated, and difficult yet satisfying RPG was one of the inspirations for Final Fantasy and all the Japanese RPGs that followed. With the complicated magic system, strategic battles, NPCs that could carry on full conversations, and one of the most interesting stories of any RPG I've ever played, this game remains the most memorable playing experience I had on an 8-bit computer. Someone needs to work with EA, who owns all the Origin properties, so that this game and all the Ultimas made for Atari machines, one through six... Yeah, I think six minutes to the ST, yeah. Yeah, six, can be re-released for download. As well, someone needs to convince EA to remake four from Modern Machines. I would say that, that Ultima 4 probably more than Catholic school or Catholic, more than Catholic CCD shaped my moral outlook on the world. I, I would agree. Because it For was you, like, this is what happened. You could be the best at all. And then the one time you stole from someone would screw you. You'd have to do a million good things to make up for that bad thing. <laughs> and so you're like, wait a minute. Why don't I just not do the bad thing? Because it's just not. And then and then that sort of, you know, like was ingrained in trying to get the whole thing done. It was. Uh, yeah, I watched you play the game and it was amazing. Okay. So, number four. So number four is an uh, made the original game was made with LucasArts and Atari. Um, nope, and not LucasArts. Lucas game, Lucas film, Lucas Lucas film, film and Atari, Lucasfilm games and Atari, um, Rescue One Fractalus. This game was Lucasfilm's first foray into video games. The original title was Behind Jagai Lines, but it was leaked to Atari Pirate so quickly that it forced Lucasfilm to start looking for other platforms almost immediately. In the game, you play a pilot who must fly around a planet trying to save your comrades and avoid aliens and alien imposters. So uh, I it was the first game that Lucasfilm made. Yeah, it was the first their first game. And it has to make their first effect. Lucasfilm game was made for the Atari Big computer. It yeah. still blows me away. This, you know, the gameplay in this was fun and arc more arcadey because you're shooting at um, guys. It wasn't 
and picking people up. It wasn't necessarily a design that way, but George Lucas actually wanted you to do something that when you fire, press the fire button, so they made it shoot, which was a great idea. Games should have been expanded over and over again into... Yeah, it's another one where if you just remade it as this game, it would be fun. It really needed to be a franchise. Rescue and Fractalus needed to become franchise over time, kind of like Anything. Halo, kind of like Halo, Halo or something, right. where like over time it's just expanded and expanded. That's what Rescue and Fractalus should have been. Or there should have been more planets to go rescue people. I mean, it, it could have got bigger and bigger. So like this game itself is cool and it'd be great to play it on the VCS or play a version of it or even a somewhat remade version, although it probably is better in the these visuals that are here. But it's another basically to me lost opportun opportunity. This is one that should have become a franchise. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is if there had been an ST version and then a Jaguar version and then another version of the PC and they kept on going, it would have evolved naturally into something now. Right. It would have been a, a much more um, evolved game. Another space flying shooter one is almost like as if you landed on a planet from Star Raiders and started doing things. Yeah, I mean, there you go. There you go. I mean, think about taking Star Raiders, Caverns of Mars, and Rescue exactly. Fractalus and making a single game out of all three of those properties. Let's see. Uh, Caverns of Mars, Star Raiders. So Re Rescue on Fractalus would be Star Rescue on Mars. <laughs> Something like that? No. Um, no. Rescue, rescue on rescue in the caverns of Fractalus. Rescue? No, be wait, no, wait, wait, you need wait. Rescue, rescue, raiders, <coughs> raiders, raiders of the, the caverns, caverns of Fractalus. Raiders of the caverns of Fractalus. Raiders in the caverns. Of okay, next one. Another Danny Button game comes in at number three. This Jeff is. Seven Cities of Gold. Ooh. Danny Button's second game on this Button list. Button was woke before there was woke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, tell me about it. Danny Button's second game on this list was no less impressive than Mule. Seven Cities of Gold was a new world exploration simulation like none before or after. It wasn't, there was one called Heart of Darkness, I think, that was supposed to be in Africa as well and hmm. tell a whole yeah, different story. I'm sure there story. were ones on the Commodore 64 and IBM and Apple after they start failed to make games for the Atari, but I wasn't paying attention. No, I wasn't paying attention either. It was kind of like a cross between civilization and pirates, but only from a surface perspective. Your job was to take as many ships and soldiers as possible to the new world, then map and discover as much as possible. One of the objects was to find gold, but you could also discover rivers, mountains, and other land features, as well as small tribes and great civilizations. The most interesting part of the game was the random map terraforming engine. While the game was supplied with a map of the classic new world, you could also generate a random map and then try to discover it. The only objection I had with this game was the limited options you had with the native people of the lands. You could only do simple trades, try to amaze them, or rudimentally fight them. I think Button was actually making a statement. Yes, he was. Uh, Those are the only things they did try. You yeah. couldn't. You couldn't rewrite history. Again, this is a game. I don't. Well, I hate to say this game probably shouldn't be remade, even though I loved it so much. This type of thing probably fly that well now or you need to approach it in a completely different way it would need to be done different way but the thing about it is that that this idea that seven cities of gold could have matured into a much bigger franchise with net right now the version would out there would be a 3d 
exploration game where it's a multi-universe. You're in a planet universe with all kinds of other people. Yeah, because- that's that's like a No Man's Sky where they just got this amazing universe you could just go discover. Yeah. That's kind of what it was. But this would be a much, it'd be like a super MMO GRPG or whatever they are now. You know. Yeah, I, I think that again, this is one that I think something needs to be done with it. it it'd be great to have it re-released on the Atari VCS in a way that could be played. Yeah, it's, someone should try to convince EA to remake it, but this time with more in-depth interaction with the native people that you are discovering or or have it be about the native people you know yeah, like yeah, like have, have, have yeah, it or be, something you know i would say that a really cool version of this would be origin tribes from russia or the russian snow russian wilderness coming across the bering strait and populating California yeah, the Lambert that and, would be interesting if you took it all the way back to that theory i guess about the the Lambridge. i mean that would people be people who actually discovered it yeah, yeah. Or take it all the way back to Africa. And, right. And, and you play the civilization as it expands across the entire world. From the Fertile would be interesting. all the yeah, way and then to... It's kind of like, right. like game civilization, I guess, a little bit. But anyway, hard game to figure out how you would do it now, but it doesn't mean that back in the day it wasn't freaking amazing. Well, they should have and, kept on going, making versions of this in whatever way they, they could. At the they could. Okay, number two pinball construction set how pinball many constructions how many pinball machines did we make with this and oh. put set put it for download credit on pirate sites i think i think we probably i'm gonna i want to say a hundred but probably not because we're just pretty particular about we the graphics probably put about bump 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 five or six but yeah, we six. we did a lot of work on those pinball machines i can't i never found any anywhere though which kind me of either but we did upload them you know there were a lot of people making them i haven't yet seen them anywhere but then again i think one day i will come across one because we did upload them to bbs's and they were downloaded we did. by people this is we another- uploaded we uh, we had several programs that we uploaded bbs's yeah for we did. We did. several basic programs that are out there somewhere in the ether one called the price is right which is you know, a version of prices right game. pricing games in it we made a check game which i don't even know why we not a game a thing about just balancing your checkbook like what i don't know what we were thinking of i don't even know how to balance your checkbook now i, I, I know i knew we'd do it when i was and and, and probably 12. something else as well but yeah i mean you have some stuff we wrote back then and of course we stupidly sold all of our discs with our computer Tell to manny that. from we don't know um Indiana? Uh, uh he no he was um he was oh wilmington Wilmington, anyway, Manny, and he bought it, and he got all of our discs, and I don't know why we we, we just weren't thinking. At at 16, were we thinking about the future, that we'd someday we want to come back and look no. at the stuff that we made? We wanted we were Atari ST at the time. Yeah, we were thinking we'd be programming all this such amazing stuff at the ST that we wouldn't care about it, which didn't end up being the case. Yeah, I anyway. did a few things. Pinball Construction Set. Pinball Construction is at another EA release, and it looks like you know a lot of the stuff we're talking about here from the classic, classic companies in EA – it was one of the best games of the era. Bill Budge's masterpiece allowed would-be pinball designers almost unlimited control over the look and feel of the pinball tables. Any number of games could be created and shared as standalone games using the built-in compiler that would create executables for whatever platform you're running the game on. This game would make a great download for any console that could support emulated tar 8-bits, but also... This, if this is just continued on, you would have pinball machines now that you can make with pieces that are in 3D. Yeah, I mean, there is, there are, there is a system for creating virtual pinball machines that is sort of like that. It's so 
complicated and it's designed around the whole concept of it is for you to recreate existing pinball machines in the real world. It's cool, but it's really, really hard. I would like to see a consumer version because what I think is lost is just how cool it was to build out your pinball games and have the physics work and understand how things would work with the gravity and things bouncing off each other. And I still think just an easier version, like those amusement park creators and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Like theme park and those. Yeah. 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 Like those are accessible, but you could build amusement parks. It'd be great to have an accessible pinball uh, construction set that then you could compile and then you'd have a bunch of pinball games that people could play as well. I think that would be really cool. I think that having the, using the pinball construction set name, I don't know why EA didn't continue that as well, but I guess they only make sports games now anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what EA is doing. Um, so number one encompasses a bunch. Do you want you want? Okay, about number one, everything, and I mean everything by Synapse. Right. One of the biggest tragedies of the Atari 8-bit computer line must be Synapse software. Synapse, bar none, made some of the best action games for the system. If the 8-bit line had been a gaming console, okay, not the 1500, but you, you know what I'm saying, then Synapse would have been the premier developer for that platform. Synapse did not live on much past the end of the Atari 8-bit era, and because of that, the world probably missed some great games. I know they made like Sin File and stuff like that. Yeah, they did made they, some stuff like that. Did they make a, any Commodore 64 games yeah, as well? They I made all probably. most of this stuff came a lot of stuff came with the Commodore 64. Yeah, but anyway, the Atari ones look look bit better in my opinion. Nearly every title they made you, you, don't even, you don't even know they came out for the Commodore 64. How would you know they look better? I'm sure they probably did. I'm, I'm sure they did. Just <laughs> just you know, I, I I'm sure I'm sure the Atari color cycles, things that Atari did on there with their um, color palette that the Commodore 64 doesn't have is what made a lot of these games. That's why I believe they look better. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Nearly every title they made oozed of originality, quality, depth, and value. From the chop lifter on steroids action of Ford Apocalypse to the isometric World War I air battles of Blue Max, which I, by the way, I just played yesterday on as i hooked up my 130xe again to the to my nice. new lg tv that actually has the input that'll work it was awesome to play until the whole thing stopped working but what i'm saying um from the action adventure of sheamus to the scrolling blasting action of zeppelin synapse titles always delivered atari did try to license release some of these games with the xgs in 1987 but that was too little too late plus they were the same games yeah they're the same games in 1987 but i do think a synapse collection for the vc for the atari vc just as yeah. is just put it, all the synapse games i would that's they should make one for the evercade too yeah um, synapse just, collection would just be synapse incredible. collection on a retro they are amazing arcade games ready for any platform don't have to be remade just play them as is as yeah, far as i'm exactly. concerned as a collection there should be one the people behind the synapse games should be their name should be in lights they right. should the world should know who these people are okay so Catherine mataga has had a long career in video games but everyone should know Catherine mataga's name because right. Catherine mataga has made some of the best games ever starting at since not enough people understand who Catherine mataga is but you said also steve hale steve hales did ford apocalypse and he went on to work on the supercharger so um and back and forth yeah i'd love to i remember i think we talked about, i'd love to interview steve hale if, if he's around or anything but anyway those people are hard to get a hold of these days so wait that's our top 10 
our top 10 games that we think should show up in the Atari VCS now that were once on the Atari 8-bit. Right. Okay. Well, that's the end of this episode about the Atari 8-bit. Thank you for Tony for having both his story and the song you're about to hear. And uh, we'll be up with a new, probably probably some sort of Atari computer-related episode. You know what? I, I'm going to predict that our next episode will include Lynx content. That's my prediction. I'm not okay. saying it'll happen. Lynx, I just I, think that I think, it will. I think we should talk about Evercade and we should talk about Evercade we, and the 700 Lynx next time. We got to talk about the Lynx. Okay. Until next time, Into the Vertical Blank. Into the Vertical Blank. Into the Vertical Blank.
Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.